Welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Welcome to Practitioner Radio. Hey, it's Chris, and this is episode... Eight, and I'm here with Mr. Hey, Chris, it's Troy again. Troy, I feel like we've done this a hundred times. Um, <laughs> oh, it's eight times anyway. <laughs> uh, I meant today. Uh, so, Troy, I saw uh, a company that was on a panel. Uh, the panel was the technology panel. I'll put a link to the technology panel in the show notes. And there was a young lady on there, and she was talking about financial management in IT. Mm-hmm. And it got me really, really thinking. I mean, this girl was just, I'm sorry, this young lady was really spot on and brilliant. I'll put a link to her name in the show notes too, if anyone wants to reach out to her, because she's a real guru. So when we were talking about our topic for this week, I thought, hmm, maybe Troy has something in his bag of Troy tricks to help me understand financial management. Well, if you want to talk about money, we can, we can always talk about the green stuff. Uh, in my case in Canada, it's multicolored, but hey, not a problem. Yes. So financial management, as do they do they call it a process? Do they call it a discipline? Is it a? Uh, can you kind of give me a primer? Yeah, you know what? It's it's funny. IT financial management is an official process process in in ITIL, but in reality, it doesn't say too much um, about it. You know, it's one of those things that you should have good costing. And you should be able to understand where your costs come from, and you should be able to make good decisions with that. And you should do a good counting and in budgeting. And that's about all it says. Just do it. <laughs> so it's like, okay, that's nice. We should be good financial management people, uh, right? But it doesn't give you much more than that. And, I, and that's been an interesting challenge because I've had the opportunity to uh, to work with a couple of companies on this, and it's kind of kind of gone a couple of different ways. Sometimes it goes into what are the IT financial management processes really? And then we start talking about accounts payable, accounts receivable, how to fund projects, the the approval process for that, um, tracking actuals against forecast, you know, those kind of things. Um, And then the other side of it, where it usually goes when people say the word financial management, they're actually talking service-based costing. The ability to understand and cost uh, a service and perhaps to recover for that service on a unit-based consumption basis. Okay. It's one of those words that means different things to different people. I did not know that there was a, this ambiguity um, around uh, financial management. I, I, I was kind of hoping you would tell me there was some step-by-step. <laughs> uh, grab your book, Chris, and uh, go to this part of it. Um, so I have a little bit of an accounting background, and I can, I, I can understand the first part of what you said. And because of our chats on services, and we've had some good chats, yeah. uh, I, I can start to understand pricing the service-based model. Most of the time when someone, if, if someone says financial management, they're talking about service-based costing. Is that, is that an okay assumption? That's an okay assumption and be, would be correct. Eight out, of ten, eight out of ten times, they're not looking to map their, their vendor management accounts payable process. 
that has happened to me once, mm-hmm. but uh, most of the time they're, they're specifically speaking about the specific concept of service-based costing and recovery. Okay. Uh, I've, and I say recovery because chargeback is a dirty word for some people. So I've got my own opinion on that, and I'll, I'll share that in a few minutes. Well, make a note, because I want to hear your opinion. Scratch that down, because we have a way of meandering like the Nile uh, and forgetting to go back to things. But I'd like to know what, how that works. Um, I'd like to touch on the accounting part of it, though, for a moment, because I've never been a CIO. Uh, I've only ever worked on a service desk and managed folks on a service desk, and it was a help desk back then. Um, and I knew what their salaries were. I knew we didn't have a lot of web-based services. We didn't have any, really, <laughs> back in the 90s. Uh, but I, I knew what certain servers cost. Um, I knew what software costs. And, you know, I would do a requisition for something, and accounting would do it. But that was about it. When it came to, like, depreciating those things and figuring out if we were getting any value from them, uh, we didn't bother. We just, we were, we, we I guess we what we thought we had to do and just use them. Right. So, you know, when you find an organization with an IT finance group, it's a subgroup of the corporate finance usually, right? Either there's a dotted line or perhaps none at all, but they're really just doing what finance groups typically do. Uh, they manage the financial assets, as you described them a few minutes ago, uh, but they also then have to, you got you go to a conference and you got to do expenses. So you have a process for submitting expenses and getting those ex- expenses reimbursed. So actually, when you think about financial management, there's probably a half a dozen or more processes in the financial yeah. group. And ITIL doesn't go into any detail about any of that. Good. So, <laughs> I mean, not good. I mean, good that I'm not as blank as I normally am. Okay, so I'm not missing the boat here. Not at all. And so what we had to do that time... Uh, was for a bank, believe it or not. We were doing this, and they said, we want to tackle financial management. And I said, okay. Eitel says, be good at it. So let's let's see what you do. So we ended up doing generic process engineering 101. We said, what are your primary processes? And I said, well, there's expense management. There's that project approval process. There's the, you know, the counting on the, on the asset side. And then we mapped out their as-is, you know, what do they do today? Got the, the sticky notes out first, and then the Visio diagrams, and then we took a look at the as-is and said, okay, this, how do we improve this? And we just kind of said, do we really need to go through three approval loops? Can we make it two? You know, so we just cleaned up the process more from a, a lean perspective of waste than anything ITIL would say specifically about what does a good expense management process looks like because it doesn't exist in that detail. Yeah, because I, I, I start to think about all the ways when I ran my small business that IT and financial management came into play. Uh, I've said once on a podcast or somewhere, um, I had a, a web-based SaaS solution that I was using. I can't remember what it was for. Um, and one of the credit cards had expired, and I was busy, and no one told me, and they just cut us off. Mm-hmm. And and it felt more like hostage as a service <laughs> instead of software as a service, because I was like, wait a minute, I need this. And I called them up, and they said, well, we sent two emails to your accounting department, and I checked with the young girl who was helping me at the time. And she was a girl. She wasn't a lady. And uh, she goes, oh, I didn't know what to do with those, so I didn't say anything to you. Oh. I'm like, oh. Breaking the process there. Yeah. So, you know, it makes you really wonder when, especially with all of this new, in your tongue, we've always had, uh, what was the term you used for, for cloud, uh, for providers outside the external provider? We've always been in a mixed uh, supplier model. That's it. Always had internal, external providers. Just because they're in the cloud now doesn't mean that that changes the fact that it's a mix. Right. So do we have anyone in our traditional IT, except for maybe this 
I had never heard of the IT accounting group. I kind of like them. I think that's my, my next job venture, to be honest with you. Um, but do we have anyone on IT who actually keeps track of our services and and when they expire and when they renew and what we're consuming? And Well, contract management is what you're referring to. And it, okay. it usually is found in a couple of different places. Um, sometimes the procurement group has the, the accountability for managing contracts and keeping an eye on when contracts renew and when they're expiring. Uh, the service management tools, when you look at the asset CMDB module, you'll typically have a contract object. And you can put an owner of that contract as far as, you know, who's got it and an expiry date. And it, and it ticks off a, an alarm, hopefully, before the thing expires. So you're not into this time and materials basis. Uh, sometimes that doesn't happen. And sometimes, the, you know, the accounting group is trying to hold on to that knowledge. But more often than not, you know, what I see is basically each manager who does their own negotiation no through no central concept manages their own contracts and of course that's a recipe for disaster yeah. because you got many hands in the pot and you're often finding contracts expiring without knowledge and that's a problem as it's an expensive problem but when we talked about service catalog and how one service touches all of these different pieces of software and or hardware and or uh, connectors you get a lot of managers there and they all seem to be or maybe not getting along. Why is it so different with financial management? Is it a cultural thing, a tribal thing? I mean, I totally get what you're saying. You're right. I mean, each manager knows what they're responsible for and takes care of that contract. Really, really, you know, each organization looks at the IT finance group differently. In fact, some organizations don't have an IT finance group. It's just there's a finance group and there's a a sub subunit of it that kind of has a finance focus. Sometimes there's a separate and distinct accounting team, as we talked about. Sometimes that doesn't exist at all, and they've everyone fends for themselves. So, you know, the maturity of financial management really depends on the organization and the size sometimes. Wow. Yeah, because part of me thinks you'd have to be huge to even have that level of maturity. Part of me thinks if you're really small and tight, you could also do it, and it's just the most of the world that would have a problem. Well, not too huge. I mean, the average medium organization will have one to two people focused and dedicated on on financial things because they have to. They have to do the reporting. They have to report up to the mothership. They have to do their annual uh, taxes. You know, so there's there's a need to always have somebody with the CFO hat on. Right. Hmm. Um, so let's go back to service based costing. Yeah. That gets its roots in understanding what your services are, which was a whole other topic we covered on another podcast. You can go back and I'll put a link in the show notes. But when it comes down and you start focusing on service-based costing, when do you start having those discussions? At what point in what process with what in the organization? Well, this is an interesting question. Uh, I try. <laughs> well, I, the question I typically ask when I'm in you know, speaking or I'm, in, I'm talking about this with customers is, okay, so you've You've got an idea that you want to manage against services. Excellent. That's good news. You get a service catalog up and you present this, you parade it out to your customers and you say, here's all the wonderful things we do for you. Uh, these are the services. And then I say, what do you think the second question will be out of their mouth the moment you present a service catalog to them? And the answer is, Chris, what do you think? Mm, how much do they cost? Exactly. Who's using them? Right. The moment you, you present something of value, there's a question. Okay, that's great. It looks sexy. I like it. But what's the cost? Right. So this question of cost is not uncoupled from the conversation of value. It has to be. And actually, think back to the definition of what a service is. It's. 
It's the stuff your customer wants, willing to pay for, that's my own words, while you manage the specific risk and costs. So there's always money attached to a service. There's always finance. Nothing's for free. In fact, I like to quote your, your saying, if it's free, then you're the, then you're the product. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nothing is for free. You, you said something in, in, your, in your description right before you gave your version of it, and you, you used the word value. Yes. And I, I, I can see kind of maybe where that doesn't get talked about enough, and I don't want to turn this into Chris's meanderings of his mind on ITIL and financial management. But you said, you know, first thing they'll ask is how much does it cost, and, and then you mentioned the word value. And they're not the same. Yeah. Talk about that if you can. All right, so let me use the ITIL term of service asset first, because that's a little bit different than what people think of as an asset. People think of the word asset, they think resources, tangible things, laptops, Blackberries, iPhones, things I can buy, binders I can read, you know, something physical. Uh, and that's part of a service asset in the ITIL concept, right? The resource. In fact, people are resources too. But then there's also the capabilities and those are the, the value-added activities of knowledge, context, history. You know, I'm, I can bring a special equation to this service because of who I am and what I know, not just about the fact that I'm a body and that I can warm a bench, right? So a service asset is a conversation of both resource and also capability. So the value question is about the combination of both capability and resource. So unpack this a little bit here. The product is not the full extent of the service. If it was, then the laptop that I provide as an IT organization to you as my customer uh, should have the same cost as the laptop I would get at Fry's or Future Shop, you know, whatever you know, place you go and buy one. Because that's why we have a difference in price, right? The laptop at Fry's, Best Buy, whatever that is, is $650 retail list price, but I have a unit of a service called desktop automation. It's a laptop too, the exact same model, but my unit cost is $2,500 a unit. Why is that? Because baked into that laptop is not just the product itself, but all of the things I do, the wonderful things I do in the background, the management, the security, the architecture, the IT support that go into the service concept. And that's the costing of that unit has to entail not just the physical resource cost, but also the service concepts. The value is higher than the product itself. You know, if defining services seemed complicated, service-based costing seems like it would just put you in a mental institution. You, in a sense, but let me I give you a simple idea of what this is. Well, I, I guess, so let me, let me say, explain a little bit further what I meant by that, because okay. what I heard you say was... It's not just the cost of the laptop, it's the cost of the support and all the processes that got the laptop to us. Yep. So the procurement. So in, in essence, we're touching a lot of other departments outside of IT and trying to figure those costs to get something into IT? Correct, because the, the full end cost of whatever you're providing has to have embedded in it all of the cost it requires to get it to that point of value. It's not just the physical hardware itself that we're talking about. So the guy in the mailroom who takes time to take the laptop we loaded with our software, package it up and send it out via FedEx and track it and make sure it gets to that person before they unpack it and call the help desk to say that they've got it. 
his time and materials on there too. If that person belongs to your organization and that's a service you're offering called, uh, I don't know, logistics, yeah. perhaps there's a logistics cost buried into the unit. Interesting. Someone, someone has to pay for everything in the end, right? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> right, otherwise, we're, make, we're losing money if we under-recover. I'm using that word again, recover versus charge. Right. I'll come, we'll come back to that. Okay. Can I give you kind of a simple way to look at this? Please. All right. Let me, let me premise this with a little bit of, uh, of background and context. Traditional costing is called cost center accounting. Right. And what that is, is I've got these assets, and this is the traditional sense of resources, right? And I've got to think, okay, I've got these three things. Who's using them? And if they're using them, they should bear the cost of them because they're using them. So I can say this computer, this server, this application, they go to cost center A. That's a business unit. And these four things, they go to cost center B. That's another business unit. But what happens when more and more of our IT environment is shared, (laughs) right? There is no clear delineation of it. I can say this thing should go to that cost center because, you know, outside of maybe telephony and desktop, that's almost impossible to do cleanly. Yeah, that's why I said I'd feel like I was crazy. Right, you can't. In fact, I would submit, Chris, that the traditional cost center accounting models we've been using for so long no longer work. They're broken. It's no longer possible to do that. Um, so the only way to do that is come up. Uh, with- hold on. I got to call Lucino. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. Go ahead. <laughs> the only way to do that is come up with one level of extraction. And this is where you get into service-based costing, uh, sometimes known as activity-based costing in more classical accounting terms. Okay. But here it is. I'll, I'll lay it out kind of simply. Let's, let's say we have, we'll use exchange, right? Microsoft exchange as a system. All right, we'll, we'll talk about it as a system level first because technology sometimes is easier to get a, your handle around. Let's say everything that you own today that does nothing else in life except supports exchange as a system. So the software itself, the middleware you use, the clients you use, the stuff that's dedicated to nothing else except exchange, that's a direct cost. That's the stuff I need just for exchange itself. But I know I can't get exchange to the client as a solution Unless I got some network, I've got some hosting, I've got some uh, professional services like support and service desk and maybe logistics. You brought that one up, mm-hmm. right? So think of this. I've got this vertical tower called exchange direct cost. And even people who do nothing else in life, they're just an exchange administrator would be in that kind of tower. Yeah. But then I got a layer in sideways components or a portion of the cost of the things needed to deliver to the end state. So I've got a portion of my network costs, a portion of my service desk costs, a portion of my virus management costs, right? So you're, you've got indirect costs that you have to kind of layer into that direct, not everything because exchange isn't using it hundred percent, but some I'll call it necessary or minimal cost for doing that. Uh, we call that a driver. It could be just the, the number of, Servers you're using for exchange as a driver for hosting. Uh, it could be a percentage, like I'm going to take my network service and divide it up against the number of things using network and say you own that or you have to bear that push portion of the cost. You have these indirect stuff that has to kind of be layered into the cost of exchange as well. And then finally, the third component is then, then you get all this cost, which cannot be directly or even indirectly attributed to delivering this value. Right. Right. Called overhead, true overhead. It's maybe the, I don't know, the secretary of the CIO, right? She does something. She has a salary. She has a cost. But I can't really ping ping her salary directly to exchange. 
So, but I still have to pay your salary. So this is a true overhead. So I sprinkle across the things I do, the overhead costs, because again, I have to pay for it. Someone has to recover enough to budget it for next year. Yes. But the sprinkles on the cake. Right. So now my exchange system, I'm still talking system at this point, mm-hmm. includes all the costs for doing nothing but exchange, but, right. a portion of all the things I require to get exchanged to the end user, right. right, including the professional things, and then a portion sprinkled off of the overhead. So that's a lot bigger than just the 100% you know, dedicated hardware and people that was just an exchange. So I've got a larger cost. Now I've got to come up with a unit, a brick, <laughs> to say, how do I portion out this cost? We'll call it a mailbox. That's a unit. Every time you have a mailbox, the mailbox costs, I don't know, $500. But that $500 is a combination of three types of cost: All the directs, the indirects, and a portion of the overhead. Now here's the funny thing. This is, this is where we get to now my unit, if it's my desktop service, right, is this laptop. And now the laptop is bearing not just the direct cost for giving you a laptop by the laptop group, but the other things as well. That's why my cost is $2,500 a unit. I'm not calling it a laptop. I'm calling it a service unit versus the laptop at Best Buy because they're, they look the sim- similar, but they're two different things. One's a, a unit of service and the other is a product um, that is without much service behind it. It almost seems like a... A unique economic model on a small scale within an entity. You know, like we've got gross domestic product and all that other kind of stuff. It's almost like you've got your own version of IT economics. Yeah, I mean, in the end, again, nothing's free. And if you don't get your money back this year, you won't be in business next year, right? Right. So you have to get, you have to recover everything you spend. Otherwise, you're in a bad place. You're in the red. So people always say, well, IT is a call center. Have we become a call center because we've spent so much time accurately articulating the cost based on the value of things? Or have we done ourselves a, a, a disservice by being this this mercurial in this area? Well, you know, when you say IT is a cost center, we're not unique in that. HR is a cost center. Facilities is a cost center. I'm just throwing around the banter I see on the internet. Right. So, yeah. they, but what they mean by that when they say IT is a cost center, meaning I often, I've had somebody tell me, I don't have to do proper costing because I'm a cost center. <laughs> what? What? What do you mean? No, what you really mean is you've been given the latitude to not, to not provide the transparency about what you cost <laughs> mm. on a more granular level. You've been given the latitude. Yeah, I like that. For not providing more transparency. So what most, many, I'll say many organizations do, this is the way they do costing in IT because they don't have time and they maybe don't have the resources. They have this big bucket. Picture a big bucket in my hands, Chris. Right. right. Anything that costs anything called IT gets put into this big bucket and your salaries, your hardware, your software, your licensing, whatever. And at the end of the year, I shake up this big bucket and I put it on the table, I'll upend it on the table and off. And on the table comes, you know, a cost, a single figure, we'll call it $10 million. Right. And I have 10 lines of business who fund IT. So I said, okay, everyone, we got 10 million costs this year. You all get an equal share, 1 million each allocation. And that's been working for some time. But the funny thing is, some groups will be underpaying because they used a lot more than their equal one-tenth. Some some groups are actually subsidizing others, right? And some groups are paying more than they should be. Right. So that's the latitude, right? What's changing now is you have people going directly to those lines of business, other vendors, 
giving them options. Well, we can give you this price option, and we can you can go cloud. And so now they're coming back to the internal IT folks and saying, all right, we've got these options at these price points. What can you do? Um, well, I can't really give you that level of transparency into your consumption. Um, well, if you don't, I'm going to go with the known entity over here, even though it might be more expensive because at least I can control it. Right. right. So a lot of people are coming to, a lot of executives talk to me about IT service management from the very basis that they're being driven by their business partners to give them more financial transparency into consumption-based charging. And, and, I'll, and let me address that charging now. I know I've been ramping on a little bit here, but here's a question for you, and it's not rhetorical. All right. What is the difference between every year having my budget filled up again, right? Yeah. Versus every year putting a, a formal invoice on the table. Is there really any difference between the two? No, there is no difference. Right. It's only the formality by which you request the money. And the words you use. That's right. <laughs> so you're, yeah. you're, you're in chargeback whether you put a formal invoice on the table or not. You're getting money every year for services rendered, and you're going to have to show value and and also cost justification for that eventually. When your latitude is up, your transparency has to become clearer. Right. It almost seems to me that you could literally have someone in some position within a, a medium-sized IT organization that does nothing but spend a, their full-time work uh, looking at these costs and and adjusting them and, and almost like a, a daily index of consumption and value and what we charge so that you can address it. And if you don't have that, you're kind of doing everybody a disservice. Um, but I don't know, you've, we talked about the contract management person or groups, but I don't know who that would be. And this just seems to be a lot to get your head around. And even if you did get your head around it, once you have it in place, by not being agile enough to look at have we changed from last year? Are we actually being charged less from our outside providers? Are our salaries actually higher or have they actually dropped? When we laid off 30% of our IT department, did we take that, reduce those costs for, for manpower? I mean, do those things actually happen in the real world? They do when IT is pressured to do them, not until. Oh. That's why financial management is usually one of the last processes in a roadmap for ITIL. Not because it's not necessary, because I mean, logically, you need to know what you, how things, how much you, how much the services you cost are, so you can make good management decisions. But until you know you're pressed to the wall to provide more financial transparency, you're going to avoid this question. You're going to try to just keep it, you know, in the big bucket concepts or maybe smaller buckets. That's almost like a spouse. That's almost like a spouse who's given five thousand dollars a month to pay the household bills and suddenly uh, she or he runs short and the other spouse comes to them and says i need a full accounting for where this money is going yeah. now a couple that on top of the fact you know you know we have we don't have zero based budgeting very often where every year you got to kind of justify why you need your budget filled up again just you better right. spend it and if you can spend it then you get it again and maybe more so <laughs> that's the, that uh, that yeah that actually I find that interesting because I've worked with a lot of organizations that come to be at different points during the year and say, we have this much money we have to spend. Yeah. And I always think to myself, wouldn't you be better off just not spending it and saying, hey, we saved the business some money? Not if they want their budget filled up again next year. But are we reinforcing bad behavior then? Absolutely we are. But hey, Pink Elephant, we love it. <laughs> we get lots well, of business at the end of the year. <laughs> A lot of companies, not just Pink Elephant, do that. But uh, but I've always wondered about that. I thought, I don't know. Now, I have to be honest. For, for full transparency, Troy, 
if I was in that position and I had money, I, I would want to spend it. I think it's human nature to want to spend money. When you have no other mechanisms to ensuring the trigger that your your budget gets filled up again, you're going to do it. Yeah. Because you can't, if you have bad planning, the only the only thing you can count on is that you're going to get this much again. Right? So you can at least know you have that to look forward to. But that means you've got very immature planning processes for financial financial management. There's no ability to track uh, at more of a granular level what you forecasted you were going to spend versus your actual spend and then make adjustments. Yeah, and once you actually get to that maturity level you talked about, you can actually probably forecast based on demand and, and consumption what you will consume based on the actual needs of the business and where the business actually thinks it's going to be focusing its resources. And that's the first time I actually kind of see the term, which I can't stand, I'm sorry, business alignment. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the first time I actually in this conversation, I kind of see where that makes sense. Well, at least being a respectful business partner, right, with your partner, the other business units, you're, you're playing your fiduciary responsibility and you're managing the money well for the enterprise good. So we're getting close to the top of the hour. I don't want to miss. I, I like the way you said whether you get your bucket refilled or you hand them an invoice, it's still a chargeback. That's right. That's why I use the word recover because it avoids lots of people cringing when I say chargeback. Recover. You still have to recover. And a recover could be a budget refill or an invoice. It doesn't matter. But you're recovering. I like that. So in a service catalog, because sometimes people always say, well, you know, with the service catalog, you'd actually show the per unit cost for all of these different types of services and and uh, pieces of the puzzle that you consume. Um, I've never seen anyone actually show the cost, but uh, I guess that's where you, you could start to apply this at a more uh, myopic level. Yeah, you'll have the total cost of the service, but then I recommend being able to show the indirect costs, which also make a part, a part of that cost. So you can see I have you know a component cost of hosting and network and support so that you can have a good conversation with your customer saying, yes, I know my unit of service costs this, but here's why. Here are all the, the subunits that build this thing that make this happen. Otherwise, you can't have this conversation in any kind of intelligent way. Troy, you've got me almost wanting to start doing webinars just on financial management. This is <laughs> actually more exciting than the rest of it. Well, you know, Pink Floyd and the money song, don't. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> All right, uh, Ross, give us some Pink Floyd. Thanks, Ross. Uh, you gotta love having an engineer that helps you out with all this stuff. Troy, I don't know what else to tell you, but we're, we're kind of at that point in the show. Do you know what point I'm talking about? I do. Folks, it's time for Troy's Thunderbolt Tip of the Day! Okay, folks, remember, the moment you begin down your service management journey and begin defining services you're eventually going to have to address how much does it cost. Wow. Money for nothing and your IT for free. (laughs) All right, folks, this is Chris Dancy with Practitioner Radio and my favorite, most intelligent, I learn every time I'm with it, Mr. Troy Dumoulin. And we will see you guys in a few weeks. Thanks so much. (laughs) 